Flying Boston, Logan Airport to LAX, Los Angeles yesterday. Early morning flight. It's hot as fucking Boston. The sun is radiating on the plane before we leave the tarmac. Yet the plane is nice and frosty, right? You're all bundled up and cold. Uh, trying to take a nap. The lady who has the window seat, I have an aisle. I like the aisle. I got long fucking legs. Jake the Snake's a big dude. We got a middle seat open. That's pretty cool. The lady at the window... It's her right to have the window up or down. It's, that's her seat. Most people keep the fucking windows closed. You maybe want to rest. The light is beaming in hot. She falls asleep. Her head is against the window. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't reach over and slide it down. So now I can't sleep. I'm wrapping my hoodie up and like twisting it around the left side of my face. I get a little slumber. Uh, towards the end of the flight, you know, um, I'm not, maybe I shouldn't say the airline because I like the airline. I'm not trying to drag them under the bus. This is not their fault. Get up a little bit. Bathroom's about three rows away. Uh, I'm walking towards it. Oh, it's vacant. The green sign. I push it open just to go in to take a piss. Toilet seat's open. Shit everywhere. You like how I enunciated that? Shit. That's my new thing, enunciating. Uh, everywhere. Dude, the seat's up. It's all over it and the back of it. And it smells. You know, an airplane bathroom is like fucking the quarter of the size of your average closet. You can barely stand in those things. And I'm going in just to pee. It's, it's pungent. I can't do it. I'm in and out in three seconds. I don't even piss. I go to the other bathroom. Uh, my first thought is, oh, this is nasty. This is disgusting. Um, how did nobody smell that? My other one is a fear that I'm sure some of you Damaged Goods podcast listeners share. I don't know. I think kind of all of us do to a degree. Shit, I'm coming out of the bathroom with all this fucking fecal matter. Just basically, you know, decor in the bathroom is fecal matter. Uh, I'm coming out. I pray no one is behind me because there was nobody waiting in line. There's no one behind me. I pray no one's coming in because they see me coming out. They're going to assume it's the snake man. No way. But I was like, yo, you got to go in and out quick. You can't even pee. That way people will know, oh, this guy just walked in there and also smelled and seen and felt the shit. You could feel it because it was so tight quarters. So I'm like, God, hopefully no one's there. I come out. No one's right there, but there's a woman walking down the aisle. And I've seen this same woman go to the bathroom like three times. So perhaps it was hers. I was like, oh, God, I really hope she doesn't think that. And then all the people who were seated right by the bathroom, those first couple rows, I wonder if they could smell it. I hope they're not thinking it's me because I was self-conscious about it. I got no qualms using the restroom in, in public where, I mean, dude, I've taken, not to be gross, I've taken shits in a lot of crazy places. When you got it, you got it, but... Not on an airplane and not in such a messy manner, you know? I was like, oh, God, I really hope they don't think it's me. Because um, I'm, you know, on the airplane for a long time, then you got to stand up when you're deporting, and then you're at the fucking baggage claim and everyone's there. So I was like, God, I've got to get in and out. And I, that woman saw me. I was like, Ugh, I hope she can't think it's me, but perhaps she knows it's her, and maybe she knows that I know it's her. I don't know who it was. It was like projectile. Uh, pretty grimy. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Um, but it, it it was shocking, stunned. It stayed in my brain. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I didn't go to the bathroom for the rest of the flight over there. It was only probably an hour and change left. I hope a flight attendant found out about it. You know, a good Samaritan would have said, hey, excuse me, there's you know a whole bunch of shit all over the bathroom. Again, my insecurities rising to the top. Jake the Snake didn't want to say that because maybe they think it's me. The classic line is, uh, I just went in the bathroom and I saw all this. It's not me, but you might want to clean it. 
That's a nice way to pass off the responsibility. I don't want to have any culpability. I don't want any guilt lingering around my essence. So I got in and out pretty quick. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was grimy. It, it kind of fucked my, my head up for a second because uh, of the fear. And, and that's a fear like, I mean, shit, my, my stepsister has a hard time using the bathroom in places like that for the, that purpose the uh, excrement purpose because she's just you know maybe you're not relaxed or you're scared people are going to judge you especially if it's like a one bathroom per restaurant place or god forbid you go to like bars at night and like clubs where it's just a one bathroom thing you better not have to go number two because everyone knows you're going number two if you're in there longer than whatever it takes to piss or they think you're doing drugs but drugs don't smell like that so then, you know, your worst fear is you come out of the bathroom and there's a line of people waiting to use it and you know what time it is. You just did what you had to do. And you got to do what you got to do, right? You'd rather do that than shit your pants or shit in a fucking Uber, but, or just feel sick to your stomach and hold it in for however long. But uh, it is, it's kind of embarrassing. And it makes the snake man harken back to uh, a few years ago, I had to get my, my laptop, my MacBook fixed, and I went to the... Mac store in the Grove. The Grove is a kind of an outdoor, indoor mall in L.A. It's kind of cool, fancy. I don't particularly enjoy it. Although the farmer's market's fun if you want to just smoke a gang of weed and bounce around to these different stands and you know, have some Indonesian noodles, smoke a little more, go get some Cajun frog legs, you know, just be a glutton. Um, so anyway, I'm in the Mac store. I'm waiting a while. Apple stores, you know, they're nice. They're crispy. They got a bathroom, one stall bathroom. So I go up to it, um, and I'm waiting for a while. I just got to pee. I just got to piss. I just got to urinate. I'm waiting for a little while. And now a line is starting to amass behind me. Not a lot. We're talking two, three people. But we're in this clean, quiet, like the enunciation right there, quiet Apple store. We're waiting. I'm like, well, whoever's in there is either dead, passed out, shooting up, or, uh, or you know, taking a shit. My guess is the latter. So the door opens, and it's, um, it's a girl younger than me. You know, you'd, you'd say attractive, perhaps, is, a, is the accurate description. Um, she knows what she did, of course, but she probably had the same fear that I had on the plane. A lot of people have is, oh, God, I hope there's not a whole lot of people out there. So she did the smart thing. You know, she exited that shit like a boss. It was, it was evacuation time. She opened the door, head down all the way. I mean, like 90 degrees, like your neck's going to hurt. So there's zero eye contact, and she moved with quickness, like a swiftness to dodge around me and the other people and go. She was a very attractive lady. She had dropped some serious heat in there. Uh, and so at least in this case, people behind me know it's not me because we've all been waiting. And they, the guy behind me looked at me like, dude, good luck going in there. Like you could, you know, it was wafting out. You could smell it before you stepped in. Um, so with all the disgustingness out of the way, Damage Goods Podcast will, will proceed. Jake the Snake will proceed. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you j enjoy the podcast, I'm going to tell you to do something that podcasts always tell their listeners do. And I never say it on here because either I don't care or B, I forget, which is very likely. Um, you know, subscribe. Give it a rating. Give it a review. Uh, the iTunes ones matter and help. But I just like that y'all listen. Oh, and while you're at it, if you like reading or if you like laughing or crying, <laughs> my book, the Waiting Room, my newest one, and Quicksand are out. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Kindle, audiobooks, stores, all that good stuff. Um, I have no idea why I brought that public poop plane story in. I think it was just so semi-horrific, 
yesterday that it, I was having a terrible flight as it was, and that was just another way to cap it off. And, uh, you know, not looking like I was the, the guilty party was important. I don't know why. We, we know it's very cool not to care about what others think, and I've, I think I've gotten better at it. There's still some things that are embarrassing that you don't want. You know, I've taken a shit in a 20-man jail cell, eight-man, like, side of the road, fucking in the ocean, like, you know, digging a hole in the woods, whatever. But that was, you know, I didn't even do anything. I was like, I really don't want to be the guy who shat all over the fucking plane. It wasn't me. I don't know who it was. I've never shat on an airplane. I jerked off in an airplane bathroom. Uh, it's in my book, Quicksand. Spoiler alert. And that was out of kind of like a necessity to go back to sleep. But I've never been privy to the Mile High Club. I did participate in some sexual activity on the uh, Fung Wah, or affectionately known as the Chinatown bus that goes between Boston and New York, now other East Coast cities. But uh, yeah, would never poop on that thing either. That's nuts. Even pissing on that bus, you had to like hold the wall so you didn't piss on yourself. God. Um, but yeah, anyway, how about Snoop Dogg, huh? Um, will that man not do anything? I mean, like, for ads. And I like Snoop. Don't get it twisted. I like him and I respect him. And, dude, he's a fucking legend. He's been around for how many years? He beat the murder rap in the 90s. He's a trailblazer with, with music. And he's, he's still himself all the time. But, goddamn, that man loves to do advertisements. Advertisements. I mean, dude, like, he's on a Martha Stewart thing. I, in the corona. I mean, he just pops up in every fucking ad. And, yeah, he's the same dude. At least he's not switching it up. And he's smoking weed at the Super Bowl or Crip walking and I respect that he had, you know he keeps that shit but this dude's gotta be a pretty wealthy cat is there anything he won't do for money I'm not even calling a selling out but this dude just, just adds for everything I always really admire artists that don't feel like they have to do ads and, and, and I hate using sell out but you know what I'm saying like be out there in the public on behalf of some company. Now, if it's a corporation, a company, a business they really like, they fuck with, it fits their brand, cool. If it's their own companies and brands, of course, of course. Jake the Snake isn't that illogical. That all makes sense, but it's like, dude, Snoop just be doing all that shit. At least he's still himself, you know? At least he's still himself. Um, somebody asked me the other day, we were talking, we were discussing matters. Uh, a friend of ours moved to Arizona from um, from Florida. And somebody's like, oh, I fucking hate Arizona. It's really hot. Yes, it is really hot. Yes, the recycling bins melt in the fucking heat. Yes, they run AC heavy. Yes, they have ridiculously strict drug laws uh, that are terrifying. It's maybe not one of my favorite states, but yeah, I get where this person was coming from. And uh, someone asked me, Snake, what's your least favorite state or states? And I know if you listen here a lot, I've probably ranted and raved about some of the ones I don't care for much. Um, but to answer their question, excuse me, I'm very parched. It's, it's not even that hot in L.A. It's like 80, but it's super humid. And I'm smoking a CBD cigarette that's got my mouth cottony. So pardon me. Hold on. Mm. Yeah, sort of. Didn't even feel that refreshing. Let's be honest. Um, they were like, yo, what's your least favorite state? And I got a, I got a top five least favorite states in the country. We can run through that another time, and I probably have said these. My numero uno, my, my number one is Oklahoma. Um, and I, besides my personal disdain and my ranting, there's a reason why I'm, I'm doing this. This is kind of like a, an intro, a segue, or what have you, um, like the, bef the uh, before in a, in a book, you know? Oklahoma, I have a few reasons why I don't like it. 
I've shared this a lot on here, touring and music, working for big bands and shit, you know, uh, you travel all over. And I've been um, through Oklahoma, in inside venues, indoor venues in the city of Oklahoma City, and in, uh, oh, not Omaha, what's the other one, dude? Tulsa, my bad. I suck at geography. Last geography class I had, I think I got a D plus um, in seventh grade. Anyway, there's a venue in Oklahoma City called The Zoo. It's called The Zoo because you know what's right next door? A fucking zoo. It's not in the city limits. It's kind of on the outskirts. It's still technically Oklahoma City, but it's, you know, in the kind of the cut. Like, it's woody, treesy, dusty, dirty. I don't know if anyone's been to Oklahoma. It's pretty fucking hot. It's not super lush. It's a little dry, but it's it's humid as a motherfucker in the summer. I mean, sticky, thick. The air doesn't move. Bugs galore. So this venue is adjacent to a zoo. That, that's open usually when you're, you know, working during the day playing shows. Um... I can't, you can't see in it. I don't know how healthy or happy these animals are. I mean, a fucking zoo is a goddamn animal prison. And uh, wasn't, what's the new uh, Tiger King, Joe Exotic? Wasn't all that shit in Oklahoma, his thing? I don't know. People love zoos out there. Maybe it was his zoo. So this venue is an outdoor amphitheater, what we call sheds, and it's old as fuck. The stage is rickety. The wood is, you know, shaky. There's probably nails that will give you tetanus. There's no AC in the whole place except for this little production office and then our tour buses. The catering has screens for good, good reason, good measure, because the bugs is out to fucking play, dude. There's no movement of the air. You got the zoo next door. The animals are doing animal things, and the flies are out. And this venue is like on an uphill, so you're going uphill in this heat. It's just brutal, getting laced by bugs. You know, the fucking, it's, you're in the grassy dust. Everything is old. And the venue has a rule, because it's adjacent to a zoo, any musical artist performing cannot curse on stage. I mean, we're throwing around all types of fucked up words working. But on stage, they can't curse. So, hold on, hitting that cigarette of CBD proportions. You do, you get fined. And you do it another time, you get another fine, you get another fine. One time I was there with a band, I won't mention who it was, and they did curse a few times for the fuck of it, which I thought was interesting. But they don't want you to swear because the zoo's next door. But yo, the show, dudes are going on at 7, 8 o'clock. The zoo's not open. Are they worried that some zebra or monkeys or, or whatever animal they've imprisoned there is going to hear these foul words? Um, I don't know. It's just not a great venue. And working there so many times, I fucking hate it. So that's one reason. That's not really the big one. But the other reason is uh, my father got knocked out there. He got arrested and locked up out there. He would call from the, the you know jail and be like, you know, these fucking redneck CEOs, these fucking... Hillbilly M.A., he just, you know, hated that. He's a, you know, East Coasty dude, Massachusetts dude. Even my grandmother, like, when he was in there, we would talk. She's old, about to be 93. Shout out to my Grammy. Um, she would be like, oh, you know, taking my father's side because she's so loyal. She loves her, her, her family, her sons, her daughters, her grandchildren. She's like, oh, they, they just don't like him because he's from the East Coast. They think he's a Yankee. Those, those hillbillies, those rednecks. And I was like, yeah, Grammy. Support. I love that. That that blind allegiance, just riding for your kid. So I don't really like Oklahoma for those reasons, but it goes further. This is what I'm getting to. Yes, I'm long-winded today. Sorry. Um, another reason to not like it for me, and I'm not saying I don't like the people. You got to differentiate between the people of a, of a state or even the people of a country versus their government and how things roll. Um, I like people from there. I'm just talking about some of these other elements. The Oklahoma governor... You know, there's like the abortion bans going on in a lot of states, and I would like to imagine that Oklahoma already had abortion ban, but I could be wrong. 
Don't come here for the fucking, the scientific facts. That's not the snake man's forte. Anyway, in lieu of what has gone on with the Roe versus Wade uh, overturn and abortion bans, and, you know, they're trying to not let people travel across state lines to get abortions, the Oklahoma governor is allowing citizens to be deputized. You know what that is? It's like, you're not a cop, but we're kind of giving you a little bit of cop-like power. You, these citizens get deputized to rat on your neighbors. If you know a neighbor that says in Oklahoma and they're going to go to, God, again, geography sucking, whatever state closest to there allows abortions. I don't think Texas does, and I don't really know what's up or to the right. Um, but a citizen cannot be deputized to rat on their neighbors for going across state lines to get an abortion, which I thought is crazy. And I'm not sure if there's any financial incentive in it or it's just a stroke of the ego for the deputized citizen to feel like they're a fucking authority figure. Um, to rat on some woman who needs to get her, wants to get an abortion across state lines. I think that's kind of, that's kind of foul and fucked up in my book. And it, it's not just because of the abortion ban aspect, but it's like you've got this governor, this higher-ranking political official of the state, essentially trying to turn citizens against each other. Driving a wedge. And this is a tried-and-true tactic. This is very old, right? The higher-ups try to divide the people... Um, to benefit them, right? Who benefits from this? The, the government does, or the local government, I should say. Um, I don't know what the citizen who rats on the neighbor gets out of it, but this is a tried and true tactic you see. And I remember like um, during the beginning of COVID in New York City, at least, uh, I can't say if this came from the governor or the mayor or whatever, in New York City, they were actually paying financial incentive. They were paying people to rat on their neighbors who were parked illegally. If you've ever parked in New York, if God forbid, if you ever lived there with a car like I did, parking is a fucking hassle and a half. I mean, you might park six blocks from your house if you're lucky. And, you know, if you're in the city places with the meters, it's like fucking three, four dollars an hour, maybe five dollars an hour. And it's very, very hard to find parking. And they were financially incentivizing other city residents to rat on their neighbors to the whatever, whoever gives the fucking tickets out. <clears throat> excuse me, the meter maids, but they're part of a a bigger fucking, I don't know, organization. They're going to pay you to call them and be like, yo, uh, this guy, this gray Volvo plate 5V267, whatever, is, is parked illegally. And you would get a cut of whatever the ticket was. So if, say, the, the ticket they were going to write, this guy was 100 bucks, you'd get whatever your little measly cut. And that was even crazier to me because now you've given people a reason People might not want to snitch on their neighbors unless they feel really moral superior, like they're fighting a good fight. But when people are hurting financially, tough times, people losing jobs out of work, and now you're offering money to do that, um, you might see that more. And that's that's kind of wild to me, you know? Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're splitting people against each other. They've got people looking left to right instead of top to bottom. You know, turning you against your neighbor to benefit them. And, and they give you a little bit so you think you're getting something out of it, but now you fucked your neighbor over and how's that going to work, especially if they live in your neighborhood? I don't know. That, that shit kind of blows my mind to a degree um, because, like, I don't know, why, why are you helping them out? Why are you doing something, especially for free? Granted, you're getting a little cut in New York, but in Oklahoma, you're, you're doing work for free, putting somebody in a really fucked up spot, especially the parking one. If someone's blocking like a fucking handicap thing that's very important or a fire hydrant or something, I get it. But if it's just somebody who's parked over a meter or, I don't know, I just, 
where I come from, that's just not a thing you do. Uh, the snitching, it's just snitching shit. And I mean, like, I, I, I got my Facebook taken away. I, I sighed before that like I really care. I'm not that upset about it, but it was frustrating. And they say, oh, you have a post that violated community standards. We got to take it away. But they don't tell you a post or whether it was a picture or a meme or a little writing couplet. All I post is, you know, promoting books, promoting podcasts, the funny, weird memes I post, and a little poetic writing ramblings. I don't go up there political talk and how I feel about shit. But I don't even know what they took it away for. So, yeah, like the censors on Facebook could have found it, but people can report shit if they don't like it, if they find it intrusive to their well-being, offensive to their well-being. So I could have been ratted on a Facebook, and I don't have a Facebook. And I don't really much care for it, but I use all my social media platforms for business. It's not really a, a thing for fun. Like I said, promote podcasts, sell the books. And I still have my other platforms. A lot of people on Facebook buy my shit through that. There's an older contingent on there that is a supportive contingent of my shit. So now I'm essentially getting food taken off my plate, money taken out my pocket because somebody snitched on me to Facebook. And um, it's just, when you don't tell something, like if you get arrested, they're going to tell you what crime you're being charged with. Oh, this is a possession, driving without a license, assault. When you just take somebody and lock them up, throw them in the fucking cell, that's some Stalin-like shit. Just take them off to the gulag. We're not going to tell you. That's what Maggie Thatcher had people doing in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. If you were suspected of being in the IRA, not even in, no proof, suspected, they could lock you up and detain you uh, with no of official charge and no release date, just indefinitely. So I thought that was kind of wild. And then on the flip side, this is what's funny to me. You got these YouTube stars like... Um, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated and interested in organized crime and shit like that. So if you don't know who some of these people are, I'll extrapolate. You got these guys who have become YouTube stars, like Sammy the Bull Gravano, you know, very famous mobster, flipped on John Gotti, um, Michael Francis, another mobster, and this dude John A. Light. They've all been wildly popular and successful recently on YouTube, you know, discussing their their past exploits, their life, and then crime in general, and organized crime in general, on these you know pretty big platforms, making money, getting advertisement money, and then God, every crime documentary, it's like those same three dudes, which kind of gets repetitive. It's I'm kind of sick of it, and you know, these guys are fucking snitches. Like I don't want to hear it from the same rat dudes, and like and they still have the very tough bravado, like they're still in there. The element from which they came, their peers don't respect them, you know. I mean, John A. Light still cooperated, but he was kind of a wild, thorough dude. You know, I know he escaped from prison in Brazil, and <clears throat> he still walks around the streets of New York. That's kind of crazy. But it, you've got these dudes who, you know, professional snitches cooperating, and they're like, you know, making money, having big careers. And then you got little old snake man, just a writer losing a platform like that. Or you got people snitching on people parking in the wrong spot and trying to get abortions. It's crazy. And then they, they got a guy, Sammy the Bull, he copped 20-some-odd murders, right? 20-some-odd murders, homicides. They wanted John Gotti, the boss, so bad. They were like, yo, we know you murdered 20-some-odd people, but we're going to let you go because we want to get the boss so bad. And then he goes into witness protection. And then while he's in witness protection, that just ain't enough. He gets into an ecstasy ring with his family, gets busted for selling ecstasy, goes to prison again, comes out, and now he's all on YouTube. And these guys are certified rats, you know? And they're fucking making money off that. And then they got censorship going on elsewhere because of uh, 
you know, people snitching. Somebody ain't like my post. If you don't like my post, DM me and be like, yo, that's, that's fucked up. I don't like it. Or just don't follow me. It's very easy. Most of the people that follow me on my social media platforms like what I write. They like what I say. They like what I post. And I use that to sell my shit, to promote my shit. It's my business. So, like, you know, it's kind of important to me, even though I don't really want to value social media too much. But it, I kind of have to. Um, and then I think about, like, like in music, hip-hop especially, snitching is very frowned upon. It's always been very condemned. You know, a lot of uh, elements of hip-hop reflect what was going on in the streets, whether it was the rappers themselves, actually, or, or their friends, or the, the backers, or the labels. And uh, it's kind of just like a, a known code of, of, you know, the street ethic still maintains itself within the music. I mean, I saw somebody, a famous blogger whose name escapes me on Twitter the other day, reminiscing about, oh, it was wild days in New York with the Stop Snitching t-shirts in the 2000s. And that, that Stop Snitching movement, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not wrong, you could ask people like Dart Adams or anybody even older than me in Boston, that shit started in Boston. The stop snitching t-shirts and movements. And it's great that it like spread elsewhere, whatever, but um it's very frowned upon in hip hop. And then, you know, they they the dry snitching, which is kind of where you're rapping about your exploits, but you're throwing names in there. And uh if that person's not dead, you're kind of fucking them over. And, or if you're snitching on yourself. And then I started thinking about my books, my writing. Because most people that don't know me are they you know, acquainted with me. They buy the shit. They enjoy it. Some people who are in the books, names all change that know me. And I'm not, I didn't snitch on nobody. We're not talking about criminality in the books. But just the crazy things I've done in my life. Maybe a relationship that went bad or something with a girl or a family member. They might not be so pleased because it's out there. They know it's them if they read it, even if the names are changed. But I'm not talking about, yo, this dude shot this guy. This person sold these drugs or stole this car. It's not like that. It's more just, you know, oh, things went crazy with this girl or, or I don't know, whatever. They're just my stories. This is shit that happened. I lived through it. I'm not making it up. I'm telling it how it happened. If you don't like it, maybe you shouldn't have had it happen or let it happen or been a participant. So it's not like I'm snitching on nobody. I wouldn't snitch on myself or anybody. I wouldn't write anything that could potentially harm someone, incriminate them. But these are just tales. But it made me think, like, you know, I'm not, like, dry snitching, but, like, I'm telling these stories and, like, is that weird? And then I had to understand, no, it's not. Because, again, these aren't crimes. This is just what happened. I'm not exploiting it. You know, some people are like, well, you're trying to fucking get attention. When, like, a big celebrity writes a book, a celebrity who's not an author writes a tell-all book, you know, or like, uh, like what's her name? Superhead was going to write a tell-all book about all the rappers and shit that she got down with. Like, that's, like, yeah, that's a little exploitive because you know people are like thirsting for that because there's big names associated with that. There's a secret behind there. I'm like a, like a fucking little independent writer. The people I'm writing about are, are people in my life. You don't know these people. So it's not like I'm getting offered a gazillion dollars and I'm on Oprah promoting this book, shitting on people, this tell-all. This is, and I changed the names. This is just my stories. So it's not exploitive. You know, anyone who said that to me doesn't really understand it. This one for me was therapeutic. Writing is therapeutic for me. I'm processing a lot of the shit that went down. Um, and I'm putting it out there because it felt right and good to me. But then I also have to write these stories in an entertaining manner so you like it, so you want to read it. So yeah, you're going to laugh and chuckle. You might cry, you might feel sentimental, you might shriek, you might be like, yo, this dude's fucking nuts, or that was crazy. Um, 
And I, I don't have any qualms with that. I feel good. I don't feel like I'm dry snitching. I'm not sensationalizing anything. Like, you know, you could take something and alter the truth, right? Throw dashes of this and that in. And that's not wrong if you're upfront about it. There's a lot of writers who do that. Uh, for me, I didn't really have to do that. These stories I thought were interesting and wild and cool enough. Maybe they're not as crazy as some of the fiction you read because that shit is fiction. This is all, you know, shit that went down. Um, and the, if, you, if you've got good stories, great experiences, you don't really need to make up shit, you know? I think it was like some comedian was talking about it once, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the, the essence of biting or stealing people's jokes or the struggle to be original or just to write something and hope that someone else didn't write some similar jokes without you two knowing about it. How do you stay original and not come off like that? And uh, they were just saying, you know, just come up with shit from your life, your experiences. Write what you know. That's how you find your voice. And that's how you know people can't bite and steal your shit. And you're not going to come out with the same thing as somebody else. Now, there is, I mean, there's a lot of people in this motherfucking world. We ain't short on people. So you and some other person in the same field as you could have had similar experiences. Could be from the same place. But the, the particular stories are going to have to differ a little because you guys are different. So that's what I, I said to myself. I was like, you know, how, what am I going to write about? How do I separate myself from the pack? And how do I be true to myself? Write what I know. What do I know? These are my stories. That helps you develop your voice, your perspective. And that way, you know, you, you don't have to worry about your shit getting stolen or bitten. Well, actually, you never know. But at least people can't say like, oh, he sounds like this person or same joke or same... Whatever, nah, these are very unique and interesting. And if you know me or you go through my life, you see how they line up with the actual shit. And uh, then it, you feel, I don't know, you feel very free when you're working on your art because you know you're not biting, which is I very much despise. But you don't have to worry about someone coming out with the same shit. In music, when I used to make music, there was a chance that I might come out with a, a song idea that now this guy got the same song idea and I don't even know him. He's, you know, in the middle of the country or he's wherever. Or an album cover could look similar, a beat, like, you know, producers, the same samples get used, and they don't even know that sometimes, most of the time. And that's just by chance. Especially if you're trying to do whatever's kind of hip, popular, cool, something of the moment. But if you stick to your guns, what's true to you, you can create forever, you know? And you're never going to have to really worry about sounding like what's hot or not, because fuck it, you're just doing you. You stay true to you, you have more longevity, and... You don't have to worry about getting lumped in with whatever's kind of the thing at the moment. You know, when people come out and they're popping because they're kind of the sound of the moment or the, the visual of the moment, the writer of the moment, whatever. What happens when that moment's over, those two, three years? Are they going to keep that sound, that style? Are they going to switch it up? And when you switch it up, nah, you know, that's hard. People don't love that all the time. So, you know, sticking to your guns is important. Then you don't got to worry about biting or being bitten. Bitten, you like that bitten I love my enunciation game, you know, but you can stay true to yourself and um, and hopefully no one snitches on you for your fucking writing or your music or whatever and just complains about it. And uh, that way you don't have to, you know, be on a flight kind of just tired, hungover, trying to work on original shit, then get up to use the facilities and there's just fucking shit spread all walls of a nice JetBlue flight. They have great legroom, great snacks. And look, I just said the airline's name, but don't worry, JetBlue, I still love you. It's not your fault. Maybe somebody just had some fucking nasty-ass Chipotle in the goddamn airport and then decided to get on the flight with three cups of coffee in the system and then, boom, what the fuck do you expect, right? Um, Damaged Goods Podcast. 
DamageGoodsPodcast.com. The new book, The Waiting Room. It's on Amazon, Kindle, ebook, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, select stores. The new audio book is coming. I'm actually editing that today. It'll be out soon, read by me. No fake voices. But if I was going to have somebody else read it, who, who should have read it? Who would I get to do it? Who could do it? Uh, oh, fucking Snoop, of course. <laughs>